0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at banner.church. This morning, I, was, I felt like God kind of gave me a word, but I had done so much time researching for this message, and I was like, Lord, like, come on, like, I, chronic, I, I followed the whole scarlet thread from Genesis, to Mark. Like, you know how hard that is to do in 30 minutes? Like, some of you, if you never preach, just go back and listen to the first message, because I'm not going to preach any of that. Um, <laughs> but I feel like the Holy Spirit really puts up my heart, and I kind of fought it, but today I'm kind of going to jump out of the plane without the parachute, so to speak, and just kind of allow the Lord to lead. I've, I've never actually done that. Or, no, it's not true. I've been done that since I started preaching here of just like, all right, we're going we're gonna to go with it. But I felt like God began to speak something really clearly to me, and, and I've wrestled through that. And I, as a pastor, I'm always wrestling through the functionality of ministry and making sure that everything is in submission to the Holy Spirit and making sure that what we always do, even though it, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes, is just to allow God to speak. And sometimes he speaks six months ahead of time when we're making the messages, and sometimes we make the message, and we're walking through it. And God's like, you know what, I feel like I have something to share. So I want to share that with you this morning. Are we good? So here's what I ask for grace. As God continues to inform this word on my heart through the spirit, I really, I just ask for just mercy, right? Uh, amen? Cool. So uh, <laughs> because it's a journey. Uh, but we we were doing this song, and I've been worshiping on this song, and, and I love, um, I kind of really love how it connected with. What what we're jumping into in our new series. So if you're with us, we're uh, last week. You know we ended our 2020 vision series, but this week we're beginning our Mark series. And as we begin this series, I feel like God kind of began to speak to me really clearly, and He spoke to me through my coffee. I know that sounds crazy, and then obviously most importantly through His Word, which is the actually important one. Uh, and I've been drinking more coffee lately, so it's kind of fitting. But it reminded me of when I didn't drink coffee. And nothing will remind you of when you didn't drink coffee more than the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Amen? Like, I don't know if you guys fasted coffee, but, man, most of the time I was fasting about just not being angry about fasting coffee. Uh, and, like, having enough energy. Because I love coffee. Um, but I haven't, I haven't always loved coffee. I know that sounds crazy because I probably drink too much cups of coffee a day. But when I was young, I hated coffee with a fiery hot passion probably till I was 20. Um, it was a drink of choice for like a year. Um, but when I was 20, I got into coffee because when I was around, I don't know, some reason 10 or 12, I can't remember, I had a terrible experience with coffee. Um, I don't know about you, fellow young men, but when I was, you know, in that age of life, it was really cool to try to stay up as long as possible, playing as many video games as possible. Amen. Amen. And uh, as you do that, you have to have increasing levels of things that keep you awake. This is pre-Red Bull. This is pre-Monster. So you had a couple options. You had Mountain Dew. You had Jolt, if you could get it. And then you had more Mountain Dew. That was your sustenance. And you had to go in levels uh, called leaders and <laughs> drink a certain amount of this to stay awake. And the longer you went... Um, the worse you would feel, and I don't know, somehow that was really cool. I remember that. But at some point, we ran out of Mountain Dew and being 10 and not being near uh, a grocery store. We're like, you know what, let's let's find something else. So when, you're a, when you are a 10, you think that the epitome of adult uh, caffeine is coffee. It is the adult drink. I was joking with someone the other day, now we all know it's water, now that we're adults. Uh, the adult drink is water. But as a child, coffee, so we're like, okay, we're going to sneak downstairs because for some reason, when you're young men, you think you're very sneaky, even though you're not, and you sound like a herd of water buffaloes everywhere you go, but you kind of get in, Austin, you know what I'm talking about, you kind of get into ninja mode, and you, you're very careful, you're whispering, Your par- I mean, my parents could hear me whispering, I know, because you're like whispering, are like, okay. We're gonna go down. They're like, yell, whispering. We go downstairs. We find the, the pot of coffee. I've never drinking coffee. I've never drank it out of a pot of coffee. But one thing I knew for sure you cannot turn the lights on, or else they're gonna catch you. And if they catch you, it's over. So, in the pitch darkness, we pour ourselves some cup of coffee. Now, we can't heat it up because somehow the microwave is the noisiest appliance on the face of the earth. If an astronaut opened a microwave right now on the moon, we would hear that door go, and pop open, right? It's so loud. So, in complete, total darkness, uh, (laughs) as all dumb things are done, we we poured ourselves a cup of coffee. We went upstairs in ninja mode. And we drank this coffee, and I can tell you almost instantly something was wrong, um, a- almost instantaneously. And I felt disgusting, and it wasn't just because it was 4 a.m., and I'd only dined on Swedish fish and Mountain Dew and whatever else at the moment. But I drank this coffee, and I was like, oh, this is wrong. And in my brain, I thought, this is adulthood, which turns out it's not that far off. Uh, <laughs> but I drank this coffee, and I took a couple sips. And I thought, I might die. And in the morning, we woke up, and by morning I mean noon, because that's when you wake up when you're 12 and you try to stay up all night. Noon, I come downstairs, and my dad and my mom were down there, and they asked us, hey, who drank the coffee? Which is a thing you do as parents to give your child a chance to succeed. And being an only child, I responded, no, I didn't drink it. (laughs) Now, you have to understand, only child, there was no one else home. No one else is there. It's me, my buddy. No, There's no siblings. The dog didn't drink it. Trust me, you're like, when you're an only child, you get all the chores. <laughs> you also get all the blame because you did all of the things. And so there's no one else to blame. And so I was like, oh, I didn't do it. And my mom, being the gracious and merciful person that she is, was like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe it was someone else. And maybe that person is going to share with us. We won't know. Uh, and if you know my mom, that's a perfect impression. Um, and so... Uh, What I realized in the coffee pot, because there still remains some, thank goodness, is on the top of the coffee pot, there is a complete layer of mold. Like so solid, like we could cure diabetes with this. It was just up there. And I'm looking at this layer of mold thinking, oh, my gosh, this is in my body. (laughs) And this explains so many things. And my parents go, hey. This coffee is five days old. We haven't made coffee in days or three days on my mom's. It was like a it was a couple of days old minimum, enough that there was mold. And I had this moment of thinking, oh my I never I didn't drink coffee for like a decade because I felt so sick. And what I feel like is, I feel like God began to speak to me as I was drinking coffee and as I was beginning to read this scripture and God began to speak into me is that so often what we do is we are still full of drinking from, consuming the old thing that we have been filled with. When God instead wants to empty us out and to make something new, to fill us with something new within us. Follow me here. So often, We are so married and connected to and locked in to the things that we have been filled with for so long. We think that they're so valuable because we've held them for so long. Bitterness, frustration, the pain that we can control versus what the pain that's been done to us. We think that we can control all these things. Shame, control. And so we hold on to them. But what we realize is the longer that we hold on to them, the moldier and moldier and moldier and moldier moldier they get. And then we keep drinking from them and we wonder why we don't feel good. What really what we should do is be emptied out. And though we hate to be empty because the world has taught us to be constantly full, right? We need to be emptied so that we can be made new. See, Jesus came to make us new. But so often what we do when we come to church is what we do is we take that old, moldy, filled up pot of coffee and we just stick that baby in the microwave. We get a little heat on it and we think that's going to make it better. Right? We go to worship conferences. We go to our awesome praise nights at... at, uh, uh, GCU has an incredible one. Our, our GCU kids, there's an incredible one. We go and we get, we get fired up. We get the heat to it. We feel like, oh, man, this is great. This is great. And then we wonder why we still feel nasty during the week. Because you're just drinking warmer garbage. You're just drinking a hotter version. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just consume because I'm just in a season about me. And so I need to consume. And so what we do is we we don't get emptied. We just begin continuing to fill ourselves. But what would have happened if I took our delicious Novella coffee? It's amazing. It's incredible. It tastes so good. I'm like ruined for anything else. And what if I took this beautiful coffee and I just dumped it into that moldy coffee? Would you drink it? Why not? It's received renewal and refreshment. It had a weekend getaway. Why wouldn't you drink it? It took self-care time. Self-care Saturday, guys. Why don't you want to drink it? See, this is the hard part is we want self-care, but we don't want surrender. See, God has not called us to reheat the old moldy filling that we've had. He's calling us to get poured out so that we can get filled up with a fresh new thing. And it turns out that he's not just telling us, but all creation and all covenant from the beginning of time, God doesn't want to just keep reheating the same brew. He wants to make us new. Oh, yeah, that rhymed. (laughs) I didn't write that down. It's not on my paper. (laughs) And so what I love about when we look at God is we have to begin to ask the question, will I allow God to pour me out? See, that's easy to say. It's so easy to say, "God, I'm just going to pour myself out at your feet." It's much more difficult to take that pot of coffee and dump it down the drain, to give it out so you can be filled new. It's much harder to to take that bitterness that has defined us for generations and pour that at the feet of Jesus, to take that oil and to break it at his feet. It's much easier to hold it, but we can't be made new. We have to take it and pour it out. It's much easier to hold on to those expectations. It's much easier to hold on to the sin and the shame. It's much easier to hold on to those things and then just constantly try to reheat it and somehow try to make it taste better. And yet God today is calling you to fully surrender it so that he can fill you fresh. See, Jesus came not to hurt not to judge you harshly, not to cast you aside. He came to make you new. He didn't come to shame you. He didn't come to wag his finger at you. He came to make us new. Because from the beginning of time, we have been reheating the same sin of pride over and over, but it's just still so bitter and so we've been drinking this bitter brew, and yet God has come to say, hey, I want to fill you fresh and make you new so that what you're now drinking will not only be fresh but never run out. Are you with me this morning? And so this series that we look at at Mark, it's about a couple of very important things. It's about the Messiah, and it's about sacrifice. Because there cannot be new life without sacrifice. There cannot be forgiveness. There cannot be release. There cannot be freedom and freshness without sacrifice. You have to pour it out before you can get filled up. If you brought your Bible with with you today, open it to Mark 1. If not, it's just going to be on the screen. I'm going to read you the first portion of Mark 1. Here's what it says. It says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark is awesome because he cuts right to the chase, and I love that about the book of Mark. It's like he doesn't give the birth narrative. We're not going to read the beginning of Mark in our Christmas series. Have like an adorable toddler come up and read that the Gospel of the Son, right? It wouldn't work because like Mark just dives right into it, and I love that because Mark has a very clear goal, and that's our clear goal here today. Here is the Messiah, and here is what it means to follow him. And so Mark starts, and he says, "The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the you know is is the." Greek, the Hebrew would be uh, Joshua, but really they, they all mean Yeshua saves or God saves. Right, that God who saves the Son of God. He's making a connection. This isn't just a guy. This is the Son of the Most High God. This is the Son of the God at creation. This is the Son of the God who made a covenant with you. This is the Son of God. Are you with me? This is the Messiah. Right, he is called for a specific purpose, Jesus Christ, Christ being the Greek, Messiah being the Hebrew. This is the Messiah who's been promised since the beginning. He's saying, listen, something new is happening here that has been promised since the beginning. He says, behold, he says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. See, you can go back and listen to First Service if you want. I explain this in much longer detail. But I'm going to tell you this. In the Garden of Eden, God promised this moment right here. Because in the very beginning, see, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the world. We were created to be in intimate communion with God. And so we were created to walk with him constantly in communion with him. But what happened? We chose instead of loving God to love ourselves. And then since Eden, we have just doubled down on that choice. And the hard part is we look at the Old Testament so many times as people living now. We're like, man, God was so mean in the Old Testament. He was so harsh. It's like, then you guys are reading a different Old Testament than I am. Because what I see is a God that from Eve promised, Genesis 3, he said, I'm going to raise up through you he who will crush Satan and Satan will bite his heel. He's going to crush the head of Satan. What I see is a God in Abraham that said, listen, I know that you have walked away. I'm going to make a covenant with you in Genesis 12 and say, listen, I'm going to establish within you a covenant where through you and your offspring, the nations will be blessed. And then if you were with us in Joseph's series, you saw it preserved, maintained, and fought for. If you were with us in our Exodus series, you saw through Moses and the and and. And the release and the freedom from Egypt, a covenant established, maintained, and fought for. See, from the beginning, God has been fighting for us. God has been showing his love and his faithfulness for us. And so, there, where there used to be an old covenant, there is now, through Jesus, a new covenant. What I mean is this. When God brought his people out of Egypt to make a covenant with them, And he said there must be sacrifice for there to be forgiveness. And so for them, symbolically, it was a lamb. They would sacrifice a perfect and spotless lamb. And in order for there to be forgiveness, there had to be sacrifice. Are you with me? And Jesus comes. And he says, in order for there to be forgiveness, there must be sacrifice. But now, instead of you constantly sacrificing lambs as a symbol, see, they would sacrifice lambs because blood was a symbol of life. And because when they were in Egypt, if you remember in our Exodus series, they sacrificed a lamb, put the blood on the door, and death, it was their wrath, passed over them, and they were freed. And then when they went out into the desert, he established the covenant again with them and gave them the law, and they would sacrifice for their sins, and the blood of the lamb was a sign. And so over and over and over again, blood of the lamb, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. I mean, can you, I'm sure someone's estimated how many animals, how many lambs died because of this, but it had to be a ton, right? Thousands of years? And so in this moment, sacrifice, 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 Jesus comes and says, listen, that was the old covenant, but I have come to fulfill that and be a new wineskin, a new covenant. This is poured out and fulfilled. As I pour myself out, I'm creating something new that's about to be filled and fulfilled. And so no longer do we need lamb, 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 lamb. Now we have the lamb of God who establishes a new covenant. And so, in this moment, as Mark is putting back to Jesus, he's saying, Listen, remember this old covenant. Remember the Messiah that was promised because what's going to happen is a new thing because Jesus came to make a new covenant. And it says this John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, verse 4, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out for him or being baptized in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. How many of you dads want someone bringing, you want your daughter to bring home a John-looking guy? Just some camel hair, some bugs? Like I said, dish to share. This does not count. <laughs> but in this moment, what we see even in the beginning in Mark, what is he setting a standard of here is their sacrifice connected with serving Jesus. Right. This life was not glorious, this was sacrificial. He was part of a tradition of people declaring, and it says, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is important. See, in Eden, when we sin, we are separated from God. Why? Because God didn't love us? No. But because of our sin, and so Christ, uh, sorry, God being perfect and holy, established with the people ceremonial washing, and all these rites for forgiveness and laws and all these things that were meant to point them to Him to say, "We can't do it. We need you, God." But what happened is John then comes and he begins to baptize with water, saying, "Repent, be forgiven." But he says something special. I baptize you with water, something you've known in the past, but someone is coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, it turns out baptism with the Holy Spirit isn't just a Pentecostal thing. It's a Bible thing. It's a Bible thing. It was promised to say, listen, I'm going to baptize you because not only did Jesus come to make a new covenant, Jesus came to make you new. And so this symbol of baptism is so important because what would happen is they would lower them in death, raise them to life, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is important. See, so often what we want to do is say, Jesus, I choose to follow you, but we forget who it is we're following. But Jesus set us the example. That's an awesome thing. Don't follow a leader who, who doesn't live what they preach. But Jesus lived it first. Here's what he does. Verse 9. If you're there, say amen. Amen. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I love the Jordan because it's an amazing place of transition. I don't know if you remember when we talked about uh, the Israelites going into the promise. What did they cross? The Jordan, right? It's a really, really, really great place of transition. So was the wilderness. But verse 10 says, and when he came up, Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and the voice came from heaven, you are my blessed son, with you I am well pleased. Okay. There's a lot happening right here so just go with me. Jesus leads by the example of baptism. Why? Because baptism means salvation, no. Because Jesus had sin and he needed to repent of, no. Jesus is symbolically now the representation of the sacrifice that will be paid for us. He is the follow the leader, right? He is being baptized. We are to be baptized, lowered in death, raised to life. And we see what happens. Jesus is baptized and it says the heavens are torn open. See, what I love about Jesus is he's constantly flipping things. And it's, it, it's, it had to be so confusing for the Jewish people. Because for the Jewish people, it was all these laws and all these things and all this washing and all the blood and all the sacrifice. And there was, there was a symbol of blood covenant through circumcision and all these things that they had to do and all these things they had to walk through. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he says, it's nothing but Jesus. It's not all these other things. It's nothing but Jesus. Right, it's, it's not like the temple was before. See, it says the heavens were torn open and the spirit descended on him. You know what that means? It means Jesus was now the tabernacle. See, the people of God had a tabernacle that would go with them in the wilderness and the spirit of God would reside in the tabernacle. But there were levels and, the, and, and there were layers to it where only certain priests could enter into the Holy of Holies. And when they built the temple with Solomon, there were there were levels where you could only go in and if you wanted to go into the holy of holies then they would literally you had to be the high priest and go through all these rituals and all these things then they would tie bells to your leg someone would have a rope and if they heard you no longer jingle jangling they would assume you died because God is so holy which we forget and we are not and so they would die and so they just drag you out your dead body out by the leg and so there was a separation But what's amazing right here in in verse 10 is it says heavens were torn open. You know where else that that same wording is used so uh, intentionally. When Jesus is crucified, it says there was a great earthquake and in the temple the curtain was torn open. It's the same language in the Gospels in these two places. What it means is where there was once an old separation in the old covenant, since Jesus is the new covenant and the new tabernacle, he has rend the heavens and rend the curtain and we now have full access to God. Jesus came to make us new, to give us fresh access to God, no longer inhibited by loss, no longer separated. It is not the old way, it is the new covenant to the most high God. You can go read Hebrews 9, through 28 if you need more on that. But there is a new connection then where Christ has once and for all died for our sins. We don't need any more lambs. We don't need any more levels or layers. We don't need any more certain stones or buildings. We have been given a complete access. And not only have we been given a complete access, but since Jesus was the tabernacle and he promised to fill us with his spirit, then guess who is the temple? Us. Us. You'll get this. In Eden, God created us to be in communion with him, to walk personally with him. From that moment till the moment I just told you, people have not walked in intimate communion with God like that in different ways, but not like that till right now. There's this amazing thing that happened where it's torn open, it's split open. And Jesus came to say, this is revolutionary. I'm here to make you new. Not an old covenant, not an old way, but complete access. Complete access to God. I'm here to make you new. And so we are now the temple of God, right? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you yourselves are the temple of the living God? What does that mean? Well, Acts 1.8 says that he's going to send his spirit to come upon us. That he will send his power to come upon us so that we will be the witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, right? See, God has done something new where he has ripped apart the separation that has existed for, etern- for since the beginning of time so that you and I might be near. But the question for us is, is will we follow Jesus' example or not? Because what Jesus did symbolically, we also are called to personally. Which is in order to be made new, we must be emptied through death. That one doesn't get as many amens. (laughs) Follow me. Galatians 2.20 says, for I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live but Christ lives in me. For the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I have been crucified with Christ. My old self is dead. My old self is gone. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. See, I am crucified to my old self. I take that bitter cup and I pour it out. I just empty it out. I say, God, I empty this out. I empty my pride. I empty my selfishness. I empty myself as God over my own life. I empty everything I've held on to And I say, God, I need you. I take the empty cup. I set it at his feet. And I say, God, this is my life. I need you to fill me. I need you to make me new with new wine in my life. I need you to fill me. I don't want the cup of bitterness. I don't want to keep reheating it. I want to just lowered and raised. Did you know that's why God gave us baptism? See, the church has neglected baptism, and I think it is intimately connected to the fact that we have also uh, neglected the fact that Christ should transform every part of our life. See, of course we don't want baptism. We don't want to change anything about what we do the rest of the week. Don't get baptized then. But baptism is so important because we have received the Holy Spirit to be the temple. See, church, there used to be a separation that was rendered. You have full access to the new covenant. And that means that you need to be lowered and raised to show the faith that you have received. Jesus did it. We should do it. You're like, wait, I got to get baptized to get saved? No. Just like you don't need vows and a wedding ring to get married. But let me tell you, it would shock the people at your wedding if I said, yes, um, they have chosen to get married and they would like to not uh, have a wedding ring just because, I mean, they know in their heart. So, you know, why does it matter to anybody else? People would be shocked, right? Your parents would be like, we paid for this? <laughs> like, come on, you have to do some vows? Pick some up, Pastor. It's important, right? Why? Because our actions show our heart. If your actions are different than your heart, the only person that's convinced your heart's right is you. Everyone else knows the truth, which is my heart is not there. But baptism is this amazing moment where we're lowered in death and raised to life. See, in culture, we are told everything else than Jesus. But hear me say, since the beginning, the plan has been nothing else but Jesus. In religious culture, It is works in the church than Jesus. But let me tell you, it is not works in Jesus. It's Jesus and everything else, it's Jesus and nothing else. See, in our lives sometimes we're told it's success, then Jesus. But hear me say, it is Jesus and nothing else. Sometimes we've convinced ourselves it's all these dreams and plans I have for my future, and then hopefully Jesus makes them happen. Hear me say, it is Jesus and nothing else. That's been the plan. That's the new covenant. That is lowered to death and raised to life to say, I die to everything else. I take my cup, I empty it out, and I say, God, would you fill me and make me new? I need Jesus and nothing else. Some of you, you, sit down and you make all these goals and these dreams and these visions, and I love that because I do that too. But let me ask you in your life, is it everything in Jesus, Jesus in everything, or is it Jesus in nothing else? Because when you die to yourself and are raised up in Christ, can I tell you the freedom is in Jesus and nothing else. The freedom isn't in Jesus and everything else. The new covenant is not in everything else in Jesus. The freedom is Jesus and nothing else. The freedom is, yeah, I man. I I got vision for my life. Like I'm, I'm believing for my spouse, but my heart is Jesus. Jesus, seek first the kingdom, and all will be given to you. I wish we could just baptize people right when they chose to follow God. We just need one up all the time, just old school. Because remember, we used to call that being born again, right? <laughs> I don't know, is that not in vogue anymore? I never hear it anywhere. It's like we just have a weird, we don't like the word birth anymore. I don't know. (laughs) But when you're born again, what you're saying is, I'm dying to myself and I'm rising in Christ. What I'm saying is it used to be everything else. Now it's Jesus and nothing else. It's Jesus, nothing else. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. I feel like God is asking us today as a church and you here that are in this place. Are you willing to take that cup and to empty out at his feet and say, Jesus, I need you to fill me like you have fulfilled the covenant. I need you to fill me. I need you to baptize me into this new life that I might be born again, be filled again. Even for some of you that know Christ, you have been holding on to the bitter cup, reheating it at the altar and wondering why it still tastes nasty. But you need to take that and you need to pour it out on the ground. And say, Jesus, it's you and nothing else. Are you hearing me this morning? See, I know because I meet with you that you still hold it. And you wonder like, man, why can't I why can't I be happy? Man, why can't I feel sustained? Why do I feel so distant from the Lord? It's because you keep pouring more of him into this same moldy thing. And you need to just take it and pour it out. And say, Jesus, I lay it at your feet. I die to myself. And I'm raised in you. There cannot be life without death. There cannot be forgiveness without sacrifice. And since the sacrifice is already paid and you've already received forgiveness, and since the death has already been given and you've received life, then there is truly nothing to lose in a life you're already going to lose by just giving it to the Lord and saying, listen, today I'm tired of drinking of the bitter cup. I want to be filled with the Lord. I want to be made new. I want to be made fresh. What would your life look like if you went from being full of the old to emptied and then full of God? What would it look like? What would your interaction with your family be like? How would you see people? Do you think you'd hope again? Do you think you'd have faith again? Do you think you'd believe again? because it's hard to believe again when you're just drinking the same bitter stuff. What if that was fresh? What if that was new? Could you believe for that miracle again? If you lay down and poured out the cup of control at his feet and were made new and fresh, do you think that you could feel joy again? if you took the cup of sorrow and you broke it before his feet and you laid it down? Because I think that we could. But what it takes is just like Jesus, we need to lay it down into death and rise anew. Are you with me? Because when you do that, Jesus will make you new. Jesus will make you new. It says his mercies are new every day. Today, he can make you new. Even if you walk with him, Even if you've never walked with him, he can make you new. To say, you know what, I'm not going to drink from this cup. I'm not going to reheat this cup. I'm going to pour it out. And I'm going to receive from what he has poured out into me. Hope, freedom, life, restoration. Jesus, I need you to make me new. I need you to make me new. Would you stand with me this morning? Since Eden, we have tried everything to make ourselves new. We've tried war, we've tried sex, we've tried every kind of drug you could find or make, we've tried people, we've tried finances, we've tried goals, we've tried relationships, we've tried kids, we've tried friends, we've tried casual acquaintances, we've tried even going out to random places, we've tried conquering, we've tried literally everything that you can try as a people from the beginning of time. Jesus came to say, listen, the old covenant What was promised, I've come to fulfill and make a new covenant through my blood, which makes you new. So, that God shaped hole that lives in your life, I've come to fill and to fulfill so that you might be filled up and that you might receive the Spirit and walk in the freedom where there was once loneliness. There's connection. You can't feel loneliness even with earthly friendships. You can for a time, but not in your soul. You can't feel loneliness with a spouse. If you have the loneliness and lacking the Holy Spirit and God in your life, trust me, you can marry a million people. You'd never find the right one. It starts here. You can feel like a failure because you feel like you don't measure up. But let me tell you, no success is going to fill that hole of feeling like you matter as a child to somebody except God. So you can pursue whatever you want, but this morning God is saying, will you pour out that cup? Would you empty out that cup and be filled up with God and say, nothing else but you, Jesus. I don't want anything else but you. It's not works, I can't earn it, but nothing else but you. Would you fill me up this morning? Would you close your eyes with me? Nothing else but you, Jesus. Focus your heart in this moment. Nothing else but you, Jesus. Of this imagery and I just want us with our eyes closed to picture it this morning as Jesus comes up out of the water and heavens are torn open and the spirit descends upon him like a dove and to think of all creation rejoicing in that moment to think of creation celebrating in that moment because in Eden it was promised that God would send one through Eve who would crush Satan and here he is In Abraham it was promised that through his offspring would come a great blessing for all generations and here he is. In Moses, the people of Israel was promised not only a freedom from slavery in Egypt but a freedom from eternal slavery. And here he is, the freedom. In David it was promised a residing of God in the temple that there would be access to him. And here he is for us, filling us to be the temple of God. Do you see in your heart and your mind how God has been waiting and pursuing you from the beginning of time? You're not here by accident. You're here because of all the things you've tried to fill your life up with. God is saying, now pour it out that you might be filled up with him this morning. Nothing else will do but Jesus. And this morning's the morning. Where it's time to just pour it out before him and if you're here this morning and you're saying i need to be filled with god i need to be emptied. i've tried to fill my life with so many things but this morning i need to be emptied that this moment is for you just as the people would come to the river, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to just come right up front and just to kneel down in this altar space or stand in this altar space. And all you're going to say to Jesus is, Jesus, I pour my heart out to you in this moment. And I pray that you would fill me up with you. I take this cup. I take all of these things. I'm done reheating it. I'm done stirring it up. I'm done trying different sips at different times in my life. I'm just pouring it out to you. My aspirations, my goals, pouring out to you my hurt and my pain and I'm asking would you fill me with your spirit like never before if that is you in this place and you're saying this morning I want to be made new and be made fresh I'm not just talking about salvation I'm talking about regeneration that you need to be renewed strengthened and poured out this morning if that's you in this place and you're saying jesus i need you i don't need anything else i don't need systems i don't need programs i don't need lights in this church i need you jesus this morning like never before i'm just gonna invite you the count of three one if you need jesus this morning maybe for the first time two if you're saying god i need to pour out my heart to you i need to lay it on the altar and three this morning, I'm gonna invite you if you're saying, Jesus, I need to be made new. I need to be refilled. I need to be poured into. If that's you this morning, I'm just gonna invite you right now. Everyone's got their eyes closed, they ain't gonna see you. You need to come up and lay it at the altar and pour it out before him and say, Jesus, I need you to make me new this morning, to make me fresh, to fill me up this morning. Jesus, we watch. Jesus, we watch. Come on, if you need to pour it out. Come right now, right now, right now and just begin to pour before him and say, Jesus, I take this and I empty it at your feet. I empty it at your feet and I ask you to fill me this morning. I empty it at your feet and I ask you to fill me this morning.